secure way to children's church at this time. For the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and we will turn to Acts chapter 13. You know, many of you know that one of my loves in life is fishing. Love to fish. And I, I think after the first time I, I did it, I just thought, this is great. I love fishing. So many times throughout my youth, I would attach myself to people who shared the same love. And one of my friends uh, that I met in college that really had that passion for fishing had a father who had that passion as well. And so he took us up into West Virginia to go trout fishing on the Elk River. And here was the plan. We made camp. Dad and one of my friend's brothers would drive upstream, park the truck, come downstream, meet us, or come to camp. We would walk upstream, get the truck, and drive it back. What none of us realized as we made this plan is the River Forks. So we walked upstream, and we walked a long ways upstream, no truck. We walked so far that it started to get dark. And in West Virginia, when you're in a holler, that's what they call those little regions between the mountains, you have to pipe sunshine into them. I mean, they are really dark when it gets dark. And so trying to traverse a river at dark, not a good plan. So we went as quickly as we could back to camp, and there's my friend's dad and his brother sitting at camp wondering where their truck was. Now, we were sincere in the fork that we took. We thought that'll get us to our destination. That's where we're supposed to be. That's where we really want to go. But unfortunately, we chose the wrong fork. And you know, life is a lot like that, isn't it? We come to those forks in the road. We want to make a choice. We want to make a decision. We hope that we choose the right course. And we can be sincere in choosing the wrong course and find that we won't reach our destination. This is similar to what we find here in the book of Acts as Paul is sharing the gospel in a synagogue. There were people in that synagogue that had a choice to make. Do we listen to what Paul has said about how forgiveness for sin can be found in Jesus Christ? Or do we continue down the path that we've been following where we hope that we've done enough to have God pleased with us? We hope that by following the course of our Jewish faith, that somehow that will make us right with God. They had a decision to make, and Paul presented them with that decision. And that's something that we, we find here, that there are indeed two trails that a person can follow in response to the gospel. And that first path, the path that we want to take, is to trust in the simple truth of the gospel. When we look in verses 38 and 39 of this 13th chapter, the Apostle Paul was speaking in the synagogue, and he said this, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. 
Now, there was a clear presentation of the gospel. And what he was saying to the people gathered in this synagogue, these people who had bought in wholeheartedly to the Jewish religion is, you're on the wrong path. You are people who will not find the destination you want by continuing on that path. You have to change. You have to recognize that only in Jesus and what he did on the cross for you can you find forgiveness for sins. And while you've made every human effort possible to continue down the path that you're on, that path will not get you to where you need to go. He wanted the people in his audience to grasp that truth with clarity. So what he did in verse 41 was challenge them with a passage that everyone in that synagogue would have been very familiar with. He knew that some of them would not accept what he was sharing with them concerning the gospel. So he gave them a warning passage from the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk shared this. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. He was warning them that just as people refused to believe the truth of God in the Old Testament and found consequences, for those who were choosing to continue down the path that they were on, apart from the path that Jesus offers by his death on the cross, that there is consequence to that decision. So then we come to the text that we want to look into today. And here in verse 42, what we find is Paul is talking to them about a decision that they must make pertaining to the simple truth of the gospel. They have to trust in it. Notice it begins with this statement. Luke is writing and he says, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Now, there was a group within the synagogue who listened, who heard the presentation of the gospel, and who said, this is something worth pursuing. This is something we want to know more about. So they invited Paul and Barnabas to come back the next Sabbath and share more. They were ready to hear what was said because it was something that they hadn't heard before. And it was something that offered peace and hope. It was something that offered to them what they were not finding in the course that they were following. And so they they saw the importance of, of, of considering this more. But then we come to the 43rd verse. And notice it talks about another group here. Not only those who invited Paul and Barnabas to come back to speak, but it says, when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Now, there was another group that couldn't wait until next Sabbath. They heard the gospel presented, and they said, wait a minute, we can't wait until then. We want to hear more. So they followed them, and they began to talk with them. What they wanted to know about was the grace of God. They wanted to grasp what God was doing and saying in their midst And they wouldn't be satisfied or settled until they could hear more. This concept of the grace of God, what a tremendous change for them. What they had been brought up under was the concept that you work and you try and you hope that somehow you've done enough, you've you've made it, and, and that you've earned God's favor. 
But what grace said was something far different than that. Grace was saying to them, it is not by your own efforts that you come into a relationship with God. It's on the basis of what God has provided for you. The forgiveness of sins. And you find that forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus. That's where you're made right with God. That's what it means to be justified. To be justified means to be declared right with God. And so what these people wanted to know was more. And what Paul and Barnabas encouraged them to do was to learn more about the grace of God. They had to understand that coming into a relationship with God is on the basis of God's work, not their own. And this is something that Paul shares throughout his ministry. To the Romans, Paul wrote that if it's by grace, then it's no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. The idea is this. The moment human performance comes into the mix, grace ceases to be grace. If I say to God, it was Jesus' death on the cross and, then I have nullified the idea of grace. In fact, Paul said this to the Galatians, I do not set aside the grace of God if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. The concept, if I could earn my way into a relationship with God, then there was no need for Jesus to go to the cross. Those who could do it would make it. But here's the problem. No one can. It is only by the grace of God that we come into that relationship with God. And that's what these people needed to hear and understand. And so here is Paul. He's urging them to continue in that grace. Now, we don't know whether these people at this moment had placed their faith in Jesus and were under the grace of God or whether they were moving toward that concept of the grace of God. But what Paul was encouraging them to do is don't stop your journey. Continue. You know, this morning, there are those who perhaps are here that have been offered the way of grace. You've had someone share with you that you can have a relationship with God the Father by trusting in what Jesus did for you when he died on the cross. And maybe for one reason or another, you've cast that aside. You haven't responded to what God freely offers. My encouragement to you, if you are that person this morning, continue in the grace of God, continue to understand what God freely offers you and respond to it by faith. Take what God freely offers and embrace it. Trust in it. Find that as your way into that relationship with the Father. There were those who chose that course they were pursuing what God had offered to them, and Paul and Barnabas were saying to them, great, continue down that path. But then we come to verse 44. And what we find is this. Some treat the gospel and its messengers with contempt. They don't want to hear what the gospel has to say. So when we come to verse 44, it says this. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And when the Jews saw the crowd, now look at this, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Now I find this passage particularly intriguing. The next Sabbath rolls around. 
Word of what Paul and Barnabas had shared had spread throughout Pisidian Antioch. And so here are people coming in to hear more. And lo and behold, it's not just the same old crowd they get every Sabbath. The whole city comes out to hear. When the word of God was shared, it spread and people became hungry to hear the word of God. But here's the amazing part of the passage. Those who opposed Paul and Barnabas weren't as concerned about what they were sharing as they were about the results. Luke doesn't mention that they were upset with the doctrine. Luke mentions they were upset with the results. We've been here decades, maybe even centuries, and we've kind of had our own little cloister of people here. And we've won a few Gentile converts. Some of them have gone all the way and become proselytes by being circumcised and baptized into the Jewish community. But many of them are just God-fearers who kind of hang on the fringes of the synagogue but don't commit and go all the way. But we've been comfortable with our little group and our meeting. And now these guys come along and they share the gospel. And the whole community comes in to hear the word of God. And now we've got a problem. Because people are going to follow Paul and Barnabas instead of us. See, their insight, uh, there's an insight into their motives because what does Luke say? They were filled with what? Jealousy. What does it mean to be jealous? What it means is they were looking at the results. They were looking at what God was doing through Paul and Barnabas, and they objected. They're getting more people than us, and we don't like that. We're offended. We're concerned. We don't want to lose the power that we've had over these people to crush them under the law and to give them all of the interpretations of the law and to tell them how to observe the law. And if they come in and they talk about freedom and grace and forgiveness in Christ Jesus, we no longer have that hold over them. And so they were frightened. They didn't want to see that transpire. And so what did they do? They spoke abusively against Paul and Barnabas. The word that's used in the original language when it says they spoke abusively is a word that we get translated right into English, blasphemy. And it means to intensely speak against another person in the most despicable and evil way. And this is what they were doing against the message of God. But here's what we recognize. As they were offended by what was said, the offense wasn't Paul and Barnabas. They were just messengers. Their offense was the very word of God that was being shared. And you know, that's a perspective I think we all need to understand. I don't know what your situation is, where you are in your workplace or with your family. I've talked to some of you, and I know that some of you have been railed against by your family because of your faith. Some of you have had people who reject you out of hand in the workplace and say to you that you're a 
follower, one of those Bible thumpers, one of those weirdos that believes in, in the things of God and the things of the Bible, and they reject you for it. But you know, around the world, there are those who experience more than just the verbal assault. They experience physical assault, and perhaps some of you have even experienced that. Why? Because of what God is doing in the lives of people. Satan does not want to see the work of God continue. So anything that he can do to stir people up against the followers of God, he's going to do. And as a result, the work of God is slowed down in Satan's eyes, but in reality, it's often accelerated. And that's what we're going to see as we go on into this text. While there were some of them who were blaspheming against Paul and Barnabas, the work of God continued. Look at verse 46. When we come to verse 46, we see there are two tactics in responding to those who have heard the gospel. First of all, there are those who are going to reject the gospel. We've seen them right here in verses 44 and 45. But when we come to verse 46, we see what Paul and Barnabas decide to do. Rather than shrink back and say, we don't want to make anybody mad, Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. I love the way this is framed in the text. They answered them boldly. They didn't shrink away by the intimidation that was leveled against them. They answered them for what they said, and look at what they said. We had to speak the word of the Lord or the word of God to you first. So here's what he's beginning with as he's talking to these people. Look, you don't have a problem with us. You have a problem with the word of God. We spoke the word of God to you. When we looked earlier in the 13th chapter as Paul and Barnabas were working in the synagogue, you know what they were doing? They were sharing the truth of God. They went into the Old Testament. They found passage after passage to establish that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one of God who came and died for them on the cross to pay for their sin. And he established it as truth. And yet, here are these people railing against them. And so, here is Paul's answer. You don't have a problem with us. You have a problem with the Word of God. You know, that perspective is helpful when there are breakdowns in our relationships, isn't it? They're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the Word of God. They're rejecting the truth of what God offers. That's the way we have to view it, and that's the way Paul and Barnabas viewed it. But then they go on to a second point. You have chosen to reject an opportunity for salvation. Look at what he says. We had to speak to you the word of God first since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. Now that is a thought-provoking statement, isn't it? He's saying, look, we presented the gospel, the word of God to you. You have rejected it. And in so doing, because you rejected the truth of God, you have now put yourself in a position to where you are not worthy of eternal life. If you go on your own merit, you're not worthy. Only on the merit of Jesus Christ can we find righteousness. And so Paul is saying to them, they made that decision. You know, I had a friend who told me about a pastor who would share the gospel with people. 
And he would go right through the presentation of the gospel, and at the end he would invite them to trust Christ as their Savior. And as so often happens, some of the people would say no. So you know what this pastor would do? He would say, well, then I'll invite you to pray a prayer of rejection with me. Lord Jesus, have nothing to do with me. Don't work on my heart any further. Let me be cut off from you and anything pertaining to you. I reject you fully. In all of his years, I don't think he had one person who prayed that prayer with him, inviting God to have nothing to do with him. Here is Paul saying to these people, look, you've rejected the opportunity for eternal life. There are consequences to that rejection. But then look at the last part of it. We now turn to the Gentiles. We've turned to the Gentiles. What we see is when a person consistently rejects the gospel, there's a place where God will turn away from them and turn toward those who will receive and hear what God has to offer. Now, when it comes to Paul, what we find in this text is that is what God had called him to in the first place. We go back to Acts chapter 9, when Paul was called and was told what he would do in serving Jesus. As we'll see in a few moments, Jesus made that crystal clear that his ministry would be to those who were outside the Jewish community. But how did Paul approach evangelism? In each one of the passages that we'll see in the book of Acts, he would always go to the synagogue first because salvation was presented to the Jew first. Paul said this in Romans chapter 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, for the Jew first, then for the Gentile. So this was Paul's operation. This is the way that he presented things. But ultimately, what he knew was this. Jesus had set him apart to share the gospel with the Gentiles. So this is what we find in Acts 9, verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man, referring to Paul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. What was going on here in Pisidian Antioch was a part of that suffering for the name of Christ, but it was also a part of God's plan to move Paul along in his ministry to the Gentiles. And so he was fulfilling what he was commanded to do, and he was sharing with the Jews that he would not continue working with them due to their rejection. You know, there are times where we have to make a judgment call. We've shared the gospel with somebody, and they have rejected it, and rejected it, and rejected it. And at some point, we have to say, do I back away from this for a time? And I would say that the answer to that sometimes is yes. If you continue to debate and push that person, that person can become even more hardened and refuse to respond to the gospel. And so sometimes that's the call that we have to make. Because if I keep pushing in human effort, it accomplishes nothing. Now this decision requires a lot of prayer, a lot of direction from God, but it's a decision that we have to make sometimes. 
I've talked to husbands and wives where one of the spouses comes to faith in Christ. And that spouse, out of zeal for wanting to see the person they love brought into the faith, will share the gospel and share the gospel and share the gospel. And what I've found is the spouse that hears the gospel shared and feels pressured to make the same commitment to Christ that the believing spouse made becomes more hardened, resentful, angrier about what's going on. So I've counseled some spouses, have you shared the gospel with them? Yes, several times. Well, then let the Holy Spirit do the work of conviction and change and wait until there's a softening of the heart. Paul was saying here that he was turning to the Gentiles to share the gospel. And then bounce down to verse 52. After some persecution that we'll see took place, we find, excuse me, in verse 51, that Paul and Barnabas were expelled from the region, and so they shook dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. Again, there comes this place to where sometimes as you're sharing the gospel, people so push you out of their lives that you have to go. You have to accept that you have been pushed out of their lives. And, and, and look at what Paul and Barnabas do. Paul and Barnabas shake the dust from their feet. Now, when we look at this, we think, well, what, what does that mean to shake the dust from your feet? In order to understand this, we have to go back to the words of the Lord. Jesus, as he was talking to his disciples, said this, when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So you know what shaking the dust off your feet means? Two folds. One, we're leaving you and we want to take nothing of you with us. It's a strong statement, isn't it, culturally? But you know what it also is? It's a statement of God's judgment. Look at the last part of what Jesus says there in that 12th verse. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of Sodom than for that town. What was Sodom? It was that town in the book of Genesis that was destroyed for their wickedness and their rejection of God. So it's a statement of coming judgment as well. Now, think about this. Every person that rejected the gospel, that forced Paul and Barnabas out of town had that testimony against them. And I believe that Paul and Barnabas did it visibly so that those people could see the statement of judgment that was directed toward them. They wanted their persecutors to understand the seriousness of their action. Then we come to verses 47 and 48. Look at verse 47. And what we find is that Paul shared with the people witnessing his answer that the prophet Isaiah revealed that when the Messiah came, he would be a light to the Gentiles and bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Look at verse 47. This is what the Lord commanded us. I made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You know what Paul is saying? This mission that we're on as we're sharing the gospel, this isn't our own personal mission. We're not here advancing Paul and Barnabas. 
We are doing the work of the Lord. So what we see first is the word of the Lord. We shared the word of the Lord with you. But then Paul also says we're doing the work of the Lord. Jesus came into this world to be the light. And so when we are sharing the light of Jesus Christ with other people, we are doing the work of the Lord. Have you ever thought about that as you share the gospel? It's not so you can draw recognition to yourself. It's not just purely out of obedience that you do it kind of rote and mechanically. It's because you look and you say, I want to please the Lord. I am doing the work of the Lord by being a light to those who do not know him. Tremendous privilege that we have to share the gospel with other people. And this is what Paul was saying to all of these people. We are doing the work of the Lord. And then look at verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. What we see here is that Paul was telling those who were open to receiving the gospel more. If they wanted to hear more, he would share more. And so he saw it as something that was commanded by the Lord, something that he was doing to bring light to the Gentiles. And then look at the response of those who wanted to hear more. When they heard what he was sharing, they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord. What a powerful statement of response. The gospel that they heard made a difference in their lives. All of the oppression that they were under by realizing, I can't do enough to be acceptable to God, was taken off of them by the offer that Jesus Christ died for their sins. The forgiveness of sins was good news. They were glad to hear that. They were excited to receive what Jesus freely offered them, and they honored the word of the Lord. You know what that means? They embraced it as true. They looked at it and they said, this is real. This is significant. This is something that makes a difference. So I honor it. And then this statement, right at the end of the verse, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. You know what the scripture teaches? God moves us Toward faith. We see both pictured here, free will and the sovereignty of God. From the human's perspective, they wanted to hear more. They wanted to believe. They wanted to receive. And it was all something that they were doing out of their own desire. But from God's perspective, they had been appointed for eternal life before they ever believed. And you know what? It's hard to know where one leaves off and the other begins. When we look in Scripture, both the sovereignty of God and the free will of men are clearly taught. But here is Luke saying that it was both and. They believed human responsibility, but they were appointed the sovereignty of God. And here's the thing. As Paul was sharing the gospel, he had no idea who would respond, who wouldn't, who had been appointed, who hadn't. He shared the gospel. And God took what he did and used it in the hearts and the lives of people. And you know, that's something that we need to understand. The complexities of deep theology 
where there's the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, we can spend a lot of time stressing over those differences and forget what God has called us to do. And that's to share the gospel with those around us. Don't get so bogged down in these things that you forget to make the main thing the main thing, sharing the gospel. That's what Paul did. That's what Barnabas did. And if we want to follow their model, that's what we will do because there will always be those who reject. Now we come to the last part of our text. When we come to verse 49, we can expect two things when God's word goes forth. First of all, we can expect that the word of God is going to spread through the region. We can expect that God's work is going to be operative and change lives. People are going to be transformed by the gospel. Look at this in verse 49. In verse 49, it says, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. God was working, and God's word was spreading and going into the lives of people and changing hearts and changing lives. And I notice, as I look at this, that it wasn't a strategy. It wasn't a program. It wasn't anything of human origin that brought about the spread of God's Word. You know what it was? It was the power of the Word itself. It was the Holy Spirit. Someone has defined evangelism as one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is. That's what Paul and Barnabas were doing. They were showing these people where to find faith, where to find forgiveness, where to find that relationship with God. And so they were joyfully doing this. They were sharing it with the whole region, but there were others with threats and persecution. And what we find is when there are opponents to the gospel, the threats and the persecution will escalate when God's word spreads. So on one side, you'll, be, you'll have those who are transformed by it, and on the other side, you're going to have those who are threatened by it. And that's what we find in verse 50. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Look at what we find in this part of the text. Here, we find that the Jews were first of all incited. This is the escalation of the persecution, the stirring up. It begins back at verse 43, where they were speaking, excuse me, 45, where, where they were speaking abusively against Paul and Barnabas. So verbal that's where it begins. But then, as we come to verse 50, the persecution is increasing beyond the verbal abuse to actual intimidation. And this word incite that we find here where it says that he incited the, the, the Jews, the God-fearing women of the community and the, the men of high standing in the community, when it says that they incited it, it means that they urge people along, that they're cheering in the background, that they're stirring up the people against other people. You know, often when people can't win an argument, which they couldn't debate them on the theological grounds that Paul and Barnabas shared, then they get rough, they get mean, 
They start to incite other people to stand against the person that they oppose. And so that's what Paul and Barnabas were experiencing. They were facing a crowd that was whipped into a frenzy by those who objected to their message. But then the text goes on. In addition to inciting the leading men of the community, it says they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Again, the same idea, stirring up persecution. Literally, the word is they raised. So it's like they begin with the inciting them, but then they, they, they scale it up a little bit, and, and it goes beyond just inciting them into a rage and whipping them up into a frenzy. It carries with it the idea that they were actually moving the community toward physical violence. We've seen this in the news, haven't we? You send a few people into an area where there's unrest, and what happens? They can whip those who are concerned or distressed about what's going on into a mob mentality. And when they get that mob mentality, anything can happen. That was the way they wanted to deal with Paul and Barnabas. Let's get as many as we can in the community against Paul and Barnabas and maybe those who are starting to listen to what they say will think twice about it. Common strategy. And unfortunately, it's a strategy that often works. Then the final part, look at verse 50. They stirred up the persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Now, the word expelled means to cast out. And it carries with it, again, the physical imagery of them actually grabbing them and throwing them out of the city gates so that they couldn't share the gospel any longer. They were serious about stopping what Paul and Barnabas were doing. And so when the intimidation didn't work, the physical casting out of Paul and Barnabas did. And that was the point where they shook the dust off of their feet. You can almost imagine this, can't you? Grabbing them by their cloaks, throwing them out into the street, and Paul and Barnabas shaking the dust off their feet as they leave. Why? Because these people so rejected the gospel. So rejected the gospel, they would resort to anything to deepen in that rejection. I believe that Paul and Barnabas continued to pray for their persecutors. I believe that probably some of those who persecuted them eventually came to faith. Look at Paul, one of the greatest persecutors of the church, and yet transformation took place by the gospel. I'm not saying that there are those who are a lost cause, and we look at them and we say they're a lost cause. Forget about them. We pray for them. We hope that the gospel that we've shared takes root and grows in their hearts and their lives. But what I am saying is this. There are times where we need to back away from sharing with them further because they're too closed. They won't listen to what we share. So rather than focusing on someone who won't listen, we go and we share to those who will. And that's what Paul and Barnabas did, and I think it's a biblical model for us to follow as well. This morning we've seen the importance of choosing the right path. Many of you have chosen the right path by trusting in Jesus Christ 
as your Savior. You have those around you who have not. They've refused it. They've rejected it. They will not believe. Pray for them. But also understand that there are many out there who still haven't heard. Go and share the gospel with those who will hear what you have to share. It's a powerful, powerful ministry that's been entrusted to us. And I encourage you, embrace that ministry. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you 